You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast, where we look to make space for the spirit in our lives. I'm Phil Vestal, and today I'm joined in an interview episode by Richard Lewis. Richard teaches us about centering prayer, its history, how we enter into a time of centering prayer, how it inspires and encourages us, challenges us, and gives us some insight into his own journey with centering prayer. We're a little bit more new here to Centering Prayer at Rua Space, and so we're really excited that Rich uh, agreed to come on, was gracious enough to give us some time to share of his own heart. I know I've personally been inspired by his website, Silence Teaches. I read through his short ebook on Centering Prayer, and he puts out many devotions that are both challenging and encouraging. And so this podcast episode is one that I'm really happy with how it turned out. I think it is a great introduction to Centering Prayer, can help us kind of take yet another step as we explore spiritual disciplines and the many ways that we can create space for God in our lives. Centering prayer really dovetails well with many of the other spiritual disciplines of prayer, meditation, Lectio Divina, kind of everything else that we talk about here at Rua Space. So thank you again for joining us. I hope that you are really blessed and encouraged by my conversation with Richard Lewis. Do you prefer to go by Rich or Richard? Rich or, is fine. Okay, cool. Cool. If you call me Richard. I think my mother called, left him in trouble. Then I'm Richard. <laughs> or if I said something smart, Alec comment. <laughs> I can totally see that. I get that. Oh man, that's funny. You know, as as my wife and I have kicked off Rua Space over the last few months, and as we are exploring different spiritual disciplines, you know, centering prayer. As I was looking on our different. Um, platforms where we're getting to know people we just thought hey you know rich rich knows what he's talking about with centering prayer we're very you know encouraged and challenged by your different posts and thought that'd be awesome if he can come on the podcast and just share a little of his journey what centering prayer is um, how you practice it challenges encouragements all that and so i guess i'm hoping can you start a little bit just talk about what centering prayer is its history and then we'll kind of get into the nitty-gritty sure sure well, centering prayer itself is, it's really a practice or tool that opens you to contemplative prayer. And then now you'll say, well, what is contemplative prayer? Well, really, <laughs> contemplative prayer really is just sitting with God to sit with God, you know, where you're opening your mind, your heart, your body to God, who's really beyond thoughts, words, and emotions. So centering prayer is really a practice or tool that opens you up to sitting with God with as much, uh, with nothing in between you and God, as much as possible. So the practice itself was created in, uh, I guess, was found by Father William Manager in 1974. He discovered the method in a book called The Cloud of Unknowing. It's a 14th century book. And within the book, he sort of discovered the method. And then he, Thomas Keating and Basil Pennington, all three of them are um, really Trappist monks, kind of refined centering prayer from that point forward and really created a kind of a Christian practice of meditation. 
So centering prayer really is just a tool or practice that opens us up to the gift of contemplative prayer. And contemplative prayer is really just sitting with God, with our mind, our heart, our body, who is really beyond thoughts, words, and emotions. And then obviously at some point I'll talk about what are the steps of centering prayer? Because now people will say, well, that's great. What the heck? How do you do it? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's kind of got those roots in Jesus' teaching about prayer, right? About kind of going by yourself. And there's also this aspect of we like to control things. We like to have God in a box where we can sort of define everything about God, talk to God. But there's this beautiful part of centering prayer in which we truly are just listening, right? Right. I mean, I guess scripturally, it's kind of based upon Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your inner inner room and close the door. So we don't really mean, and we don't think Jesus or the Bible meant go into your house and close the door. Go into your inner room, close the door, you know, let go of your thoughts, let go of your emotions, and open to God who is within, and just sit with God. I think of it as, and, and I, I, I don't know if I've read other people saying this, but I, I think of it as a reverse prayer. God, I'm being quiet and God is quietly praying in me Mm. and he could, and God could be praying in me, whatever God knows I need. So it might just, I might just need to be loved or I might need to be emotionally healed or I might need some wisdom for upcoming tasks, or it might be God nudging me to move in a particular direction in my life. So that, that's how I think of it. I think of as, as a reverse prayer, God praying in me what God knows I need. Well, and that's even like Paul talks about it with the Holy Spirit, right? That we don't always know what to pray, but the Holy right. Spirit with words or groanings kind of beyond what we can understand prays for us. And so it's kind of a process being done in and through and with us. Now, one thing I did note is in your short book about it, you said that it um, it isn't meant to replace other ways of prayer, but sort of to supplement, to help us enter into, right? Right. Like, I don't, I don't want people to think that's the only, this is the only way you have to pray, and it's not the only way that I pray. It's just another way to pray. We, we certainly can pray out loud to God verbally, whether we're asking Him for help or praying for others or even just venting or complaining, but it's really just another way to pray where you're sitting quietly with God. I mean, if you think about it, if you're sitting with your wife or spouse or a friend, sometimes you don't always need to talk. You just like being with each other. And it's the same thing with God. We don't always have to talk with God. We can just sit with God and just enjoy being with God. Yeah, I love that. You know, there's um, some verses in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is, is uh, Moses says, you know, once I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days, and 40 nights. I ate no bread, drank no water. And and then it says a few verses later that he did it again. And it's really interesting because it says, it uses some of the words that Moses spoke, but for 40 days and 40 nights, it's hard to believe that Moses would have been speaking that whole time, right? There must have been an aspect where Moses was just silent before God and was just spending time in God's presence. And the passage says that the Lord listened to me. And I almost read that as if the Lord listened to Moses' words, but also to the intention of coming before him in silence. Right. No, I, I mean, I would agree. I mean, and even like even Jesus often went off alone and prayed. And we don't know exactly how he prayed, but we can we can only surmise that he didn't always talk. Or if you went, he went off and fasted <laughs> to fast, you, you have to conserve your energy. So you have to be quiet. 
So we can only surmise that Jesus sat in silence with God in, in some, some type, some form. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive in a little bit to um, what, we've talked a little bit about what it is, but sort of how we actually do it. What are actually the steps so that people can start to get a feel for what Centering Prayer is, what it looks like? Sure. And actually, one, one thing I'll say about the Centering Prayer background, and I will get into the steps I should have mentioned too. So Centering Prayer was kind of created in 1974, and then 10 years later in 1984, the Contemplative Outreach was formed, which really is the main Centering Prayer organization, which is an international organization. So anybody could look up Contemplative Outreach online and see it's a huge organization that's international that's really devoted to Centering Prayer. So uh, I just wanted to mention that. So centering prayer uh, is for, I'll say, four simple steps, but not so simple because it's not easy to sit in silence. Step one is, is select a sacred word, you know, as the symbol of your intention to open yourself to God's presence and action within. And the word, generally, we want it to be two, three syllables, um, a short word, and something love, Jesus, ocean, blue, um, could be the word. And it's not a word that you want to cling to, but it's just a word that is your symbol as of your intention to open to God's presence and action within. So first you select a word. Two, sit comfortably. Now, if you have a bad back or bad neck, lie down. Some people have to practice centering prayer lying down. So sit comfortably or lie down if you have to. Close your eyes. And then interiorly, so not speaking it out loud, but interiorly, you know, repeat the sacred word really to begin your practice. And then step three, and step three, you'll, you, you might have to do over and over again through the practices. Whenever you have any thought or emotion, return interiorly ever so gently to your sacred word. So bring that word back to your mind and then let go of that. So really it's just a posture or gesture of continuously opening to God's presence and action within. So as you're practicing your prayer, if you start thinking about something you need to do in two hours, you need to let go of that and come back to the present moment with your sacred word and then let go of your word again. So really all throughout the prayer time, which could be anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, that's what you're doing is whenever you find yourself daydreaming or, or reminiscing about the past or planning your future, you're, you let go of it and then, and then come back to the present moment with the use of your sacred word. And then let go of the sacred word, because you're really not clinging to that either. And you do that posture, that gesture through the whole prayer. And then at the end of the prayer time, um, you can remain in silence for a minute or two, and then get up and resume with your day. And then I can also talk about it, I kind of call it center of prayer bookends. I mean, the most important thing to do is to sit and show up for your practice. But it is nice to put some structure around it. So I like to call it Centering Prayer Bookends, where perhaps you start with something and you close with something after your Centering Prayer. So for me, I open, I have, I'll call them mantras. <laughs> I, I write them in my, uh, type them in my iPad, and I kind of read them to God. And these are things that are important to me regarding my life, my family, my community, things I'm praying for, um, things that are important to me. I sort of speak them to God, bring them into my centering prayer time, and then let go of them, and then go into my centering prayer, sit. And then after my sit, the tail end, bookend is I'm 
whatever book I'm currently reading, and it might be a spiritual book or it might even just be a novel that I'm enjoying. I'll read five to ten minutes from my book, and then I get up and begin my day. So that's so that's really the practice, and I and I just just think it's nice to start it with something. And maybe one other example I'll give of a bookend is when I first started practicing back in 2014. My son, I guess at the time was seven or so, was curious what I was doing. So I taught him centering prayer, and we did together a one-minute sit. So the bookends that I used for that, I lit a can- we, together we lit a candle. We did a one-minute sit, and then after the sit, we together, or I let him, blow out the candle. And that. So our bookends were oh, light a candle and blow out a candle. But that's basically the centering prayer steps and I just encourage people maybe put a little neat structure around it, make it interesting and have an opening and closing, you know, bookends. No, that that's extremely helpful. You know, what it reminds me of a little bit um, is I was reading A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God the other day, and right. he brings up John chapter three, where Jesus references the bronze snake being lifted up in the wilderness. And the passage says, you know, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So there was a sense in which the very gazing upon the brown snake, bronze snake offered the healing of God. Not that the snake was doing it right, but it was their intention of turning toward God. Um, right. that did it. And so Jesus says that, um, so the son of man must be lifted up just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And Tozer seems to make this connection to see, to say that our belief is really a gazing upon Jesus, that what we can do is sort of turn toward, but obviously we can't save ourselves, right? But there's that intention of turning toward God that God seems to accept as an invitation to speak in our life. And so as I was thinking about centering prayer um, and sort of beginning to practice it and, and reading about it, it sort of seemed a little like that, that when, as you talk about a word that's an intention, it's not a mantra per se, but as you said, it's sort of setting our intention of coming to God to gaze upon God, to listen for what God's voice is. So that connection kind of stuck with me. Right. No, exactly. I mean, that's really what it is. The purpose of centering prayer is just to, you know, open to the presence and actions of God within. So you, you're, the sacred word is just your intention to open to God's presence and action within. And that's really exactly what it is. And I, yeah, and I love that you mentioned, you know, you sometimes even just sit with your wife in silence and that words don't need to be spoken, but that time together is still shaping you together in a certain way. So, how did you come to find centering prayer in your life to become a sort of part of your spiritual disciplines? Like why centering prayer, I guess, how and sure. um, sort of what has that done for you as you make space for God in your life? Sure. I guess I've always been attracted to silence. I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert, but I enjoy being with people and talking with people one-on-one, but I guess I've always been an introvert. So I've always been attracted to silence. I just didn't know what to do in the silence. And I had, I guess I had read some books by Carl McCullman, and he talked a lot about silence and how transforming silence was, but he never really talked about what do you do in the silence. So I would just practice one minute or two minutes of silence, and it was brutal. (laughs) But then I came across a book by Amos Smith called um, Healing the Divide, Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots, and I came across this book in late 2013. And in the book, 
he talked about we well, talked about Jesus and Jesus being God and human, and he what and that's what he called it, you know, the Jesus paradox. But he also talked about silent prayer, and specifically he talked about centering prayer. So that's where I learned about centering prayer, and I thought, aha, here's a here's some here's a practice I can do in the silence. So I was sure. introduced to centering prayer by reading his book, and then I just began exploring it and reading uh, Cynthia Bourgeau and Thomas Keating and Basil Pennington and David Frenette and began reading all of their books. So I began practicing centering prayer in I I guess I dabbled in silence in 2012 or so, but then I found a practice in late 2013 and then began seriously practicing centering prayer. About I don't know what was magical about June 1st, 2014, I decided to dive into centering prayer. I'll call swimming pool. Thomas Keating of the Contemplative Outreach, I guess, had suggested you know, two 20-minute sits per day. So I decided just to dive into the Centering Prayer pool and begin practicing twice a day for 20 minutes. And I've been doing that as much as possible really since June of 2014. So I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't. I knew I liked silence, but I didn't know how to practice silence. Then I found Centering Prayer in Amos Smith's book, and then I just began reading others and then began discovering that the best way to do it is to try to do two sits and to try to do two 20-minute sits per day because it can really be transforming. So that's a, a little bit about you know, how I found it and how long I've been practicing Center in Prayer. And what, um, what have you discovered has changed in your relationship with God through Centering Prayer? Like, tell me maybe about a day you missed. <laughs> Have you missed any days in those years? And sort of what did you realize, whoa, that changed when I missed that. And over these years, what would you say has changed for the positive? How have you been affected by this? I mean, I would say it just, it kind of, it calms you down. It's God, God has a way of calming you down, slowing you down, filling you with what you need for each and every day. So, I guess what I've noticed just in general, because I've been practicing now for over five years and, and moving on to six, I guess you could say, was that I'm just a much different person. I have an excitement for life that I, I, always, I always liked life, don't get me wrong, but I have an excitement for life that I didn't have before centering prayer. And I have a confidence in myself that I didn't have before centering prayer. And I have a better ability to slow down and listen more and be more patient with others. I kind of have a better ability to sometimes so the silence of centering prayer has taught me sometimes silence is the best action. You don't always need to take action. Sometimes a situation resolves itself or sometimes someone else is better suited for, for whatever action needs to take place. And then I've noticed silence. I seem to get wisdom for tasks after my centering prayer sits. And, and that example will be at work. Um, a couple of years back, work was extremely hectic and difficult. And I would do a centering prayer sit in the middle of the day. Even though I was busy, I would still stop what I was doing, do my centering prayer sit at about two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I was always amazed by when I went back to my desk that I was still able to accomplish all the tasks and I was able to resolve some of the issues. So centering prayer, I guess God has, filled, well, has slowed me down, calmed me down, and, and has given me wisdom for daily tasks. So th those are some of the things I've noticed about centering prayer. Yeah, no, I love that because, you know, there's a sense in which 
I think sometimes we like to separate the quote unquote spiritual from the secular, right? As if they're disconnected, but really it's one life that we live. And often what we do during our, you know, more specific sort of spiritual discipline time, you know, we may not feel a lot happen during that time. We're not going to like necessarily get a vision of God, right? Or hear an audible voice or something in silence, but it bleeds over sort of into the rest of our lives because of that intention, that posture that we set forms sort of a base habit in our life. And so it's almost like we hear God's voice when we're done with our sit, (laughs) not always during. Right, and really the purpose of Centering Prayer is, is not to have a mystical experience. We, it's really, I guess one thing I'll say, it's, it's a long-term marathon with God, where God is transforming us over time, and I definitely feel He's transformed me. So I don't come to my sit for any type of magical, mystical experience. I simply come to sit with God, really because I love God, and I want God to transform me, and I want to kind of get up from my sit and do the actions. I, I view it as I'm partnering with God as I get up from my sit. So I really want to sit with God because I love God, and then I want to get up from my sit and walk with God and take the actions in this world that together God and I are supposed to take. What would you say have been some of the struggles over the years of your practice? Are they the same today as they were when you started? Or do you remember when you first started? What kind of were some of the difficulties? And now that you've done it for a long time, what sort of difficulties still come up for you? I mean, I, obviously, initially, just sitting in silence was hard. So that really was the hardest challenge, was just sitting in silence is hard. So I would encourage people, you don't have to jump in and do 20 minutes even do one to five minutes initially and slowly work your way up to 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, I'll equate it to, at least for me, for those that run, sometimes you get kind of a runner's high where if you're running and you're a jogger and it's horrible and you don't want to do it, but then all of a sudden you break through something and you can run further. Same thing at least happens for me in Centering Prayer where there could be those times where it's difficult to sit because your mind's racing and you really just don't want to sit there. And then you sort of have a centering prayer high, like a runner's high. So that's definitely one challenge that, um, I mean, I'll still have. So sometimes some sits are harder than others. But so for those people that are starting, you know, start with baby steps. I would start with a slow, with a shorter sit, a one-minute sit, a five-minute sit, and slowly work your way up. And then the other challenge, which I kind of mentioned, was, you know, don't go into it expecting a mystical, you know, relationship or some mystical, magical thing to happen. That's not really the purpose. The purpose is just to sit and open to God and keep letting go of whatever happens, including if you have some peaceful, wonderful experience, you even let go of that and keep opening to God and God's presence. And one other challenge I'll mention is because some people that I've helped start centering prayer, some people have their perception of God is that God is a judge and God doesn't love me. And and for whatever, some people have just had that perception, whether it's because they were raised and and their parents, they had you know not good experience with their parents or whatever happened in their life, whatever trauma they experienced in their life, they view God as a judge. So it might be hard for them to sit with God. So I try to suggest to them that, you know, God does love them and God is delighted that you're taking the time to sit. 
So that's definitely obviously a big challenge for someone whose perception of God is not, is that I don't know if God loves me. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure that spending some time with God, God can sort of speak truth into those situations because our story shapes us, right? No matter what, no matter where we've come from. And so I, I even have seen and experienced for myself that this time of silence can sort of reveal who God truly is over time and sort of break down some of the false ways I'd seen God before. One of the things you mentioned as your first one was just how hard it is to sit in silence in the beginning and sometimes how hard it still is. For people who sit and say, I set my intention, you know, whether it's a word like the Trinity or Jesus or Yahweh or whatever it might be, and I just cannot stop the stream of thoughts. Like, you know, it's like I just keep returning to my word because they just will not stop. Sort of, what would you say to those people? How would you maybe, maybe an encouragement to them and a challenge, if you could? I mean, I would say it's okay. I mean, that's normal and it's going to happen. So it's not a bad thing because then it means you just had, um, and Thomas Keating is quoted as saying this, it just means if you had to return to God 1,000 times, then terrific. You've, you've returned to to God 1,000 times, and that's not a terrible thing. Yeah. So you may ha- I guess you'll know your sits are, might be different. There's going to be some sits where you have racing thoughts, and then there might be some sits where you don't have as many thoughts, or you'd find you don't even have to use your word, your sacred word, and you naturally bring yourself back. Actually, and one other thing I'll mention, too, is maybe you you need to use a different – you can also use an image. So, so I actually use what I'll call sacred image. So instead of a word, I'm more of an auditory uh, – I'm more of a visual person. So if you're an auditory person, maybe you do want to use a word. But if you're a visual person, which is what I am, I use a an image of a Jesus icon in my head. And I use that to come back to the present moment. If you're more of a physical person, some people like to use their breath to come back. And some people are worried that they might fall asleep. So like Amos Smith, now he, he doesn't do this because he's afraid he'll fall asleep, but Amos Smith, who I mentioned earlier, he uses the sacred glance. So he actually keeps his eyes open and he's staring at a spot three or four or five feet in front of him. So maybe use a different method depending upon if you're a visual person, a physical person, or an, more of an auditory person, maybe change your method that would be better suited for you. So I started with the sacred word, and then I found that I'm more of a visual person, and I've stuck with that now. Absolutely. You know, I have a picture in my office of Moses re- removing his sandals at the burning bush. And I I love that image because, and I know some people in certain d- strands of Christianity might look at a picture and say, oh, that's, you know, idolatry or something. But it's not, with images, it's not worshiping the image. What it is, is as you said, it's it's bringing a visual to mind that can help us focus and center on what's important. And so for me, that picture reminds me of, hey, I'm on holy ground before God and I ought to remove my shoes, right? Which it doesn't just mean my literal shoes because in my office, (laughs) I don't usually wear shoes anyway, but sort of a stance of humility before God, sort of a remembering that, wow, this is the God of the universe who invites me into 
the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree. Visuals can be helpful. I love that you mentioned with your son lighting a candle, right? Because the Holy Spirit, we know, like an axe comes as, you know, tongues of fire, right? And so there's almost a sense of remembering the Holy Spirit in that and that that can even focus in it, us in on God. So definitely love those tips. I was wondering, would you be up for sort of guiding a quick, almost one minute time of silence? Maybe literally start with people of, hey, come into the present moment, pick a word, do a minute. Would that work for you? Sure. So I I could kind of walk through the steps and then I'll kind of set a timer here that I have for one minute. Perfect. Okay. So really centering prayer, as I mentioned, is four steps. So step one, um, Select a sacred word as a symbol of your intention to open yourself to God's presence and action within. So this word could be love, Jesus, ocean, something like that. Step two, sit comfortably, close your eyes, and then interiorly repeat this sacred word. Step three, as you're sitting now in silence and you become aware of any type of thought or emotion or even physical sensation, you know, let go of it and return ever so gently to your sacred word. And then you just keep doing step three over and over again. And it's okay if you have to do it, what feels like 1,000 times throughout <laughs> the time of your sit. You keep coming back to God. That's a good thing. And then at the end of the centering prayer session, you know, simply remain in silence for a minute or two before you get up and resume your day. So those are the steps, and we'll take a one-minute uh, centering prayer sit right now. So that was one minute. So I guess I want to thank everybody that did try it just to see what it's like, even if it is for you know, one minute of silence, because it really, it really only takes a millisecond or so for God to act within you. It doesn't take long at all. So any silence is better than no silence, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, I would ask people, how was that? You know, what, what, what came up? You know, did thoughts come up? What was your word? Um, it can be helpful maybe to journal things down or even leave a comment about what, you know, what word you used and, and how it went, especially if it was your first time with silence. Um, and some people have even said, like when I've taught it at some churches, we, we do, we'll do a five minute sit. And a lot of the people will say, this, this wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. So I think some people are pleasantly surprised that the five minutes went fast and it wasn't that as hard as they thought it would be. It was, seemed to be a common uh, 
comment that I got when I would teach. So I think some people, the thought of silence and sitting scares them <laughs> or <laughs> they wonder if they can do it and how long could they do it. And then they're pleasantly surprised to realize this really wasn't that bad. And I, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. And maybe I ought to try it a little bit more often. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, can you talk about some, we've, we've talked about some tips within centering prayer. What would you maybe say about other externals, I guess, such as consistency, time of day, setting, though, you know, number of times a day. I know you mentioned you do it twice. Um, sure. So some of those sort of peripheral components. Sure. Um, well, I guess if you're new and you don't have practice at all, I guess first try to at least practice once a day. So for me, I mean, I think it's the best. For me, I do it first thing in the morning. I just find it is, is a wonderful way to begin the day, and it just sets the pace and tone for the rest of the day. It's me and God sitting together, and then God and I getting up from the sit and taking on the day. Yeah. So for those brand new to Centering Prayer, now, I would recommend, if you really can, just do it first thing in the morning, and that might mean you set your alarm. If, if you have to get up to go to work, you, you get up 10 minutes earlier or, or 15 minutes earlier and do a centering prayer sit. Now, if you work yourself up to 20 minutes, then obviously set the alarm 20 minutes earlier. But I would recommend doing it first thing in the morning because it really just sets the tone for the day. And as I said, if you're new to centering prayer, you know, even five minutes would be fine. Do a five-minute sit and work your way up to 15 and 20 minutes. So don't feel like you have to jump right to 20 minutes. But, but do it first thing in the morning is what I would definitely recommend. Now, I've heard, you know, some people have told me, I am just not a morning person. I just cannot do it. Then I, then I recommend, I mean, other options are in the middle of the day, if you're able to, depending upon your job, do it, do it right before lunch. And I'm fortunate that I can also do it. So even if I go into work, I just go to my car and do my sit in my car. So if you can't do it in the morning, it's just not going to happen. You're not a morning person. <laughs> then I would definitely do it at least midday before lunch because it just has a way of kind of refilling you, your reservoir, and, and kind of rebringing you back to God, regrounding you, reconnecting you with life. So, if again, if you're new and you want to at least establish – a practice first thing in the morning or at least, you know, right before lunch. Because what I guess I'm fearful of saying after dinner because then you begin thinking about well, what am I going to watch the TV or what am I going to do with kids if I have kids or now I'm too tired to do it. So then you just may not – then you may just put it off. No, absolutely. <laughs> so I, would, I would recommend first thing in the morning. If you can't do it first thing in the morning, you know, before lunch, do it. Yeah, and there's something to that consistency, I think, that helps us, that helps it become more regular and more of a habit, that when we just say, oh, I'm going to do it at some time during the day, you know, it's amazing how quick the day goes on, and you just think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, right? But tomorrow quickly becomes the next day and the next right. day. So having sort of that consistent practice to say, hey, this is my carved out time um, can help and sort of normalize your body and mind to it as well. Like, well, this is when I sit and spend time with God in silence. Right. I mean, it really it has a way of giving back time to you is what I found. So, I mean, I would I, obviously I would highly encourage people to have two sits per day, one in the morning and then one before lunch or one sometime in the afternoon, because the second sit really just refills kind of your interior reservoir. And as I said, it, it that second sit, even sometimes I used to think 
I have so much work to do. I don't have time to do it. I found that that second sit has a way of giving me back time because when I went back to work after the sits, I figured out how to do that task. And that task didn't take me as long as I thought it would. So I have found, and I, I'm optimistic that others will find the same, that centering prayer, silence has a way of giving you back time. I think that's so true. I mean, I think of even the rhythm of a Sabbath every seven days, right? And how much that affects and changes the other six. And seeing this almost like a a mini Sabbath to say, you know, I couldn't take a whole day off. Well, actually, it ends up being really beneficial, not just in our, you know, relationship with God, but there's a, it's like God built it into our physical existence to need that. And so there's something to having this time every day creates a different rhythm and ultimately impacts more than just our, ability to listen to God and gaze upon Jesus. So I think that's very, very true. As we sort of get to the end of our time, is there, are there, is there anything else we missed or any other last uh, words, challenge, encouragement that you would offer to people as they either start this practice or sort of continue and go deeper with it? Sure. I mean, I would say I would just simply say start small, take baby steps. It can be difficult, but just do it in one to five minutes times and work your way up. Um, as you alluded to, you know, schedule your sits. So make it the first thing you do in the morning before you start your day. And also find a support group. So you, you may be pleasantly surprised if, you know, if you just Google centering prayer in your area and name your town, you might be pleasantly surprised to find a church has a weekly group. that, And it won't matter to them if you're part of their church or not part of their church they'll welcome you to their meeting. So a lot there's churches in your area that might practice and have a group that practices center in prayer weekly, and they'd be happy to have you join them. Or you could even look on the Contemplative Outreach site. They have chapters really all throughout the U.S. and internationally, and there might be a group in your area, and you could join them. So it's, it's always nice to, from time to time, sit with people in community in silence um, is very powerful. So I would encourage that. Or even if you're a little adventuresome, and I tried it once, the Quakers, they believe in the tradition, the traditional Quaker service is silence. So you could actually find a friends meeting near you, and the traditional Quaker service on Sundays is in silence, which is kind of nice. And I went to one near me. And, and then they talk afterwards. So you don't just walk in and leave. You walk in and they, they do silence, but then after the 40 minutes or so of silence, then they pray for each other and they have announcements and then they have their community time afterwards. So if you're adventuresome, find a Quaker group near you and check out one of their uh, silent meetings on a Sunday. You know, there is something really cool about practicing in community. Um, right. We've discovered this with, you know, we do our Lectio Divina live, but I've also, you know, I think even if you're going to sit in silence, doing it with other people and the conversation you can have afterward, even the relationship that builds can be very special. And so I think that's a a good thing. If you can find other believers to practice silence with and to practice something like contemplative prayer, um, yeah, that can absolutely be a blessing. So, so Rich, where can people find you? Where, um, tell us a little bit about your, where we can find you online, um, what kind of things people can discover there, what you offer, all of that good stuff. Sure. Uh, my website should be easy to remember. It's called silenceteaches.com. So silenceteaches.com is my website. It's devoted to centering prayer. If they subscribe to my website, they'll get my free um, centering prayer ebook. 
and then they'll automatically receive my weekly. Every Monday I have a meditation that goes out related to centering prayer, and a lot of times it's, it's related to a struggle, and I try to help people through centering prayer struggles. So the weekly centering prayer is generally a struggle that people have, and it, it talks about it and hopefully helps them overcome their centering prayer struggle or challenge. And then I'd love to read books by spiritual authors, Christian authors, or contemplative authors, so you'll often see book reviews coming off my site. And I like to interview um, people as well, so you'll see interviews of other contemplatives uh, like me, where I'll just ask them lots of questions about what is prayer, what is contemplative prayer, who are some of their favorite authors, what are some of their upcoming projects, and just let my community learn more about them in case this is someone that they're interested in. So that'll also come off my site. And I offer, I guess, coaching, one-on-one coaching for people that want to create a long-term sustainable centering prayer practice, or for those people that are already practicing but struggling and just want some extra help, I offer coaching. And I work with churches, so I actually will work, go into a church and help teach them centering prayer, or even virtually. I actually did a virtual one via Zoom a few months ago at a church in Texas. I'm in Philadelphia, but we just I taught them centering prayer for the people that were in the room. So that's a little bit about me, sites strictly devoted to centering prayer, but I love to read books and love to interview people, so I like to share that with my community as well. Awesome. Well, Rich, thank you so much. This was a huge blessing and honor to have you on the podcast to learn more about centering prayer, to get a little bit of your story. Um, So just thank you so much for your time. What a blessing. Sure. I'm glad our paths crossed. Thank you for uh, letting me share this with the community. Hopefully it's something that uh, they want to take a closer look at as well. Amen to that. Hey friends, Phil here again. I hope you enjoyed that really cool conversation with Richard Lewis as we discussed centering prayer. If you want to find out more about Rich, definitely go check out silenceteaches.com. Check out his short ebook on centering prayer, his different devotions. They are worth it. They have been very encouraging and challenging to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please definitely consider dropping us a review on Apple iTunes podcast. We greatly appreciate that. It helps us to reach more people and consider joining the community. Check us out on Facebook, Look up more of our interview podcasts, more of our explorations of spiritual disciplines as we look to make space for the Holy Spirit together in our lives. Until next time, brothers and sisters, grace and peace be with you.